I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 57 of Season 6 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capresque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Duncan Shields from Tronologically Speaking. Welcome back to the show, Duncan. Thank you. It's good to be back here. I want to yeah. look, I'm looking forward to talking about this movie again. <laughs> but but that's not what you agreed when you, you bought your shares. <laughs> so minute 57 begins with uh, george continuing to explain the system of of the the building alone and ends with george wanting everybody to understand who potter really is so we yesterday george started explaining to this crowd of people that have uh, come to the building alone to, to uh, assumingly get their money back that he, he's trying to explain to them, you know, that, that that he doesn't have the money with him there. It's not in the safe. You know, your money is in this person's house and that person's money is in that house and all that stuff. And so this minute begins with George basically continuing by saying, well, you're, you're lending them the money to build. And then they're going to pay it back to you as best as they can. Now, what are you going to do? Foreclose on them? So my my first question is, this is a very strange system i maybe i mean i'm not an economics person so i don't really understand all these things that well but i mean okay i'm i want to build a house and i don't have enough money so i'm getting a loan from the building and loan okay and the building alone uses the money from duncan okay so duncan your money is uh is being held by by george and that is going to me to help build my house but I then have to pay money back. You know, I'm paying a mortgage or whatever it is. So what is the added benefit to you? You know, Duncan must be getting, uh, you know, some sort of interest on it. So if that's the case, then, you know, wh where's this extra money coming from? Yeah, that's a good question. Unless it's unless think, it's the uh, fact that that if for every dollar that 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 I have to pay that that I get, I have to pay a dollar fifty back or whatever it is. And that extra money is what would go. Yeah, I would assume there'd be some interest. I would also assume that the you know rising property values, um, theoretically, you know would would help that too. Um, right. I'm not entirely sure how. But the other, I think that the attraction of it is that it's theoretically a lateral organization, like a community, sort of like a like a socialist capitalism. If that's not an oxymoron, you know, it's all it's all local. It's it's definably local because it's concrete. It's houses, right? Your money is in 223 Cherry Tree Lane. It's right over there. That's right. where it is. You know, like it's not 
invested in some abstract, you know, web of, you know, whatever. Like it's not, it's not something that you you need a degree to understand. It's in Terry's house right over there, you know, like, and it's in my house. And this, that's why this speech is so powerful and so palpable is, you know, cause this is like the first, I imagine these are like the first kind of financial institutions that would, would show up. Like you had your national banks, but then you had your local, you know, local, local financial institutions for local people. Like that's the heart of America uh arguably the heart of the of the world you know like you've got your group of people in your small town and i know that like i grew up in a small town and there's no secrets in the small town like somebody would try to be you know cheating on their wife or something like that and everybody would know except for the wife <laughs> you know it's like there's no <laughs> that's a there's, you can't, interesting thing you can't for you to know as, when you're growing up <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i suppose <laughs> Yeah, my upbringing wasn't wasn't super. It's like, awesome, oh, Jimmy's that, father is 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 cheating on Jimmy's mother, but uh, you know, as long as she doesn't find out. But good thing, good yeah, thing, yeah, uh, six year old Duncan knows this. You know, <laughs> they're always gonna, they're always gonna find out. But that's uh, but that's the thing about also like your money is in other people's houses, so you are each other's safety net. You know, and it's like the opposite of. 30 people owning 99% of the wealth on the planet, you know, and that's what he's trying to save here because Potter doesn't care about people or quality. Even I think, is it in this minute where he talks about the slum? Um, or is that the... I, I don't know. We'll have to wait. Uh, and yeah. see. I, I don't, um... yeah. Okay. But this is this. Yes. 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 We to... mentioned it. I, I believe he does mention it. Yeah, so like Potter only cares about profits. So if he can build a cheap, shoddy house and save some money, then he'll do that because he doesn't care about the fact that the person that lives there is going to have to live in a, a you know a, a meager existence in this horrible, leaky place. Right. Like he's, you know, in a, our current system of like built-in obsoleteness is kind of part part of all that, right? Like rising. And the rising prices that we're all experiencing with groceries and stuff, that's only possible because of these quasi-monopolies, mm-hmm. right? Like a capitalist community only works for everyone if there's thousands of independent businesses competing and keeping each other in check along with a thriving middle class. Like that's that's the America that everyone seems to have forgotten that they want. Like we're supposed to help each other, not just look out for number one. Sure. Like in self in selfishness, all is lost, not in some spiritual hippie way, but in a demonstrably economic real world way. And I think that's what he's trying to explain here is he's like, if you freak out and give all the power to Potter. Then this town is going to become Pottersville and he will become a king and you will all be serfs. But you can't think about that right now because you want to protect your investment. And you're like, half of half of my money is better than none of my money, you know, which is still like they must be freaking out if that's there. <laughs> but I imagine it was the same with like uh, like crypto, you know, like if you're if you're, you know, leveraged in crypto and it plunges, you're like, OK, as long as I can get half of my money back before it goes completely down into the negative, um, I'll do it. I'll do it now because time's a ticking. So I can I can uh, I can understand their panic a little bit. But um, yeah, that's what he's trying to say. That's what uh, I think. That's what that's what he's trying to say here. Is right. I mean, we, that, that, if we that stay is... the, stay the course, 
Right. I mean, okay. that's Capra. I mean, you. I, I know you mentioned yesterday you only seen two Capra movies, but Capra's movies are all about that. They're all about the the little people and how you can, you know, still make a difference, even though you're, yeah. you know, in, in everyone can make a difference in their in their small ways. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. I saw there was a friend of mine that was talking like if you if you don't bother. Like if you don't, if you just live your life, you know, over the course of your life, you're going to reach about 5,000 people just that you talk to, right? That you, right. by just existing, you're going to affect the lives of about 5,000 people in some small way. And that's if you don't even try. Correct. That's if you just keep to, keep to, your, keep to yourself and try to go through. But imagine if you did try. Imagine if you gave it a shot to really affect people's lives. You know, every person is important and every person is powerful, whether they realize it or not. And so that, I think that's something that's also really important about this movie is, you know, like George, George is a reluctant. He's the definition of, you know, reluctant life hero. is what happens. Yeah, well, reluctant hero and also life is what happens when you're making up. Yeah, we, we actually like, talked about that, that phrase a few weeks ago. Yeah, like you have these dreams uh, that in most cases will always be unrealized. And but what you do while trying to achieve those dreams, that's what your life is. And it's something that is, it's this weird magic trick, you know, where you fail to notice what's happening right in front of you because of the goals that you're trying to achieve one day down the line. And then when you fail to achieve those goals, uh, but you've still had a rich life, it's only at that point, usually, that people have time to take stock and reflect on what they've actually done. So um, that's also the, 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 the core and beauty of this movie. Yeah, for sure. he gets a chance to do it kind of early. Right. And again, because that's the, the personality of, uh, of, of George Bailey. You know, he is the type of guy who, no matter what you do, no matter how much he fights it, he still um, is there to help others. You know, as much as he wants to be selfish, he just he isn't able to be selfish. You know, and and we yeah. also see how well, he affects others around him, which which we'll, yeah. we'll get to very shortly, because you know yeah. even he he has uh, you know I, I, maybe even uh, maybe maybe it's t- I don't remember if it's today or tomorrow uh, where. We're, we're going to be able to find out that it's not just uh, George who who wants to help everyone here. Yeah. And then the, the conversation continues, and Charlie continues and says to him, "I got two hundred forty-two dollars in here, and two hundred forty-two dollars isn't going to break anybody." How much do you think two hundred forty-two dollars in nineteen thirty-two is worth today? I'd say like at least twelve hundred bucks. You know. It's five thousand four hundred and thirty-five dollars. Woo! Okay. Well, that's. I mean, it's like there's this line in here that I remember. I saw this meme that was going around about how it's still resonant, and it's scary that it's still resonant. Is when he says, "Do you know how long it takes the working man to save five thousand dollars?" You know, like that's and this that's movie's. Right. What is this movie again? Nineteen forty-eight or something like no, that. No, the movie came out in nineteen forty-six. But but right now. Yeah, forty-six. But I mean, right now, what's taking place in the movie is nineteen thirty-two. Even though we do get up yeah. to 1945. Yeah. So what he's saying, 
you know, do you know how long it takes a working man to save up $5,000? That's still relevant today. You know, it's hard to save up $5,000. And if, uh, uh, especially, I mean, if you take in the, you know, temporal exchange rate, you know, whatever, have $5,000, $5,932 is probably like, you know, $40,000 or something like that now. So that's like very, very hard to save up that kind right. of we'll, we'll, we'll get there. During, during the course of the week, we'll actually be able to find out exactly how much that is. So, yeah. Right. So, I mean, basically uh, at this point, I mean, again, that's what, what, what Charlie is saying is that he's got $5,500 in there and he's asking George to, to give him that back that $5,500. You know, $5,500 is a lot of money. You know, when, when you think of only $242, that's fine. If someone were to say today, give me $242 that I have invested, it's not going to break anybody. I would agree with that. <laughs> but but yeah, looking yeah. but looking at the value of $242 back then, the value is equal to $5,000 today. That's That's a lot more money. Yeah. You know. It is. And so and it's something also, yeah. Right. And and this character who who says it, it's not Charlie, it's it's Tom, sorry. Uh it's played by an actor named Edward Keane, who was born in eighteen eighty four and passed away in nineteen fifty nine at the age of seventy five. Eighteen eighty four. Yeah. Good long life there. And at K-E-A-N, or sorry, K E A N K E A K E A N E. Right, okay. Yeah. So he, he passed away at the age of seventy five, which means that he's in his sixties here. And uh, he has 318 IMDb credits. So 300. Yeah, I mean, wow. there, I've we've come across so many character actors uh, just in the course of of these last 57 minutes who have yeah. have a lot of uh, a lot of IMDb credits because they've they've small little bit pieces in in uh, you know more than just Frank Capra movies, I guess. You know, so it makes sense. So then George says, okay, Tom, all right, here you are. You sign this and you'll get your money in 60 days, 60 days. Now that's what you agreed to when you bought your shares. So, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you go to the bank and you want to get a lot of money out back from them, you know, I, I, I don't know if they're going to give it to you that particular day. Depends on how much you, you need no. and how much is there. You just see the movies when people come in there, they close their account and they, you know, they they get a big suitcase filled with, uh, you know, thousands of dollars. But not all banks carry so much money that they're that they're able to release on on a at a, any given time. Did you ever see the TV show Ozark? No. There's a, a bit where um, Jason, ah, gosh, what's his name from Teen Wolf and. Uh, Family Ties and Jason mm-hmm. Thompson. Yeah, sure. No, Jason. Jason uh, Bateman, I know. Name, but uh, Jason Bateman. There you go, Jason Bateman. Uh, so he is uh, an accountant, and he's unknowingly working for an organization who he is trying to steal from the mob. Okay. And uh, he's like, what? And um, and not like, a, but like a Mexican uh, crime syndicate not like a New York mob situation, but he doesn't realize this. And then everybody else in the company gets uh, killed except for him because he talks 
to the the mob boss in a way that says, look, I can launder all your money. And I didn't know anything about the theft that was happening. And uh, the mob boss says, okay, you know, you have my attention. You've got a week. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he has to take all of his money out of the bank. And his idea is that he's going to go to the Ozarks because there's a lot of tourism there. And all these tourists come in over the summer, empty their wallets and leave which is a perfect place for money laundering schemes that he has ideas for. Hmm. But he has to take out all of his investments first because he owes this guy. This guy says, okay, you can give me $5 million by the end of the week. And he's like, well, you know, I've got, you know, four and a half million dollars in investments. I could take that out and maybe figure out a way to get the other 500,000. So he has to go to the bank and say, I want all of my investments, all of my money out now. Right. And they're like, well, we can't do that. Right. We, we can only do that, you know, by Friday or something, because that's a lot of money. <laughs> but like FBI people are there when he goes to collect his money. They're sent they're, they're giving him handwritten notes like, are you being you know, blackmailed into doing this? Is there, so, is there an emergency happening right now? Why you need all this money? And he has this great speech of like, look, you're going to give me all my money. Because there are regulations that say you need to have at least a third of everybody's investments on the premises or available to you at some point. And if you don't, then I'll tell everybody and we're going to get a run going on on this bank because nobody will have faith in you. You know, and also it's my it's, you know, I can. So he, because he's an accountant, he knows all the laws and rules of banks and what what is needed and what can be done when they're saying, well, we can't do that. He's like, yeah, yeah, actually, you can. And you need to, right? So he's got this leverage because he actually knows something about financial institutions. It's a great scene, but it's exactly what's happening. Is he's like, right. I need my money now, much much like this character is here. He's like, sorry to hear you're going through trouble, but I need my money now, and you can do it, and do it. You know, and it might it might be a dent in your entire institution, but legally you're obliged to. And it's. It's interesting here to to realize that like I love this whole the you know the design the grand design of Potter in this moment because he's not under the guise of generosity he's trying to bankrupt the buildings and loan because right. he can't get a hold on it he's like I need to take everybody from the banking from the buildings and loan away from the buildings and loan by manufacturing a crisis. And then they'll go under and then I'll have the people. Right. And it's, he, he even says, right, he's not he's not selling shares. He's buying you, you know. Correct. But but again, it, it's Potter is taking advantage of the situation. He he didn't cause the run on the bank. How did the run on the bank uh, happen? Well, I thought there we was don't know. Something that was, we don't know. It's, it, it, oh, uh, we don't know. I, I believe it's connected to something that was happening, you know, during during the Depression. To, uh, uh, okay. You know, in in my head, uh, I thought there was something. No, no, no. He took over the bank. Potter, he took fault. he took over he took over the bank in order to save them. But uh, yeah. And then someone bursts in and goes, "Tom, Tom, did you get your money?" And he goes, "No." Well, I did. And he shows some some cash. He goes, "Old man Potter will pay fifty cents on the dollar for every share you've got." Fifty cents on the dollar. Yeah cash 
Well, what do you say? Tom turns to, to George. Well, what do you say? Now, Tom, you have to stick to your original agreement. Now, give us 60 days on this. And then uh, he turns and goes, okay, Randall, are you going to go to Potter's? Better get half than nothing. So, <laughs> I, first of all, that that's very strange that, that that these people are willing to, you know, to give up half of their money for it. You know, again, talk about the fact that if he's if he's got fifty five hundred dollars there, the equivalent of fifty five hundred dollars, you know, would you be willing to give away twenty seven hundred dollars right away just that easily, without trying to find no. some way to get it? That I mean, that's you know, it's. Part of the problem here is is that we're looking at this this movie as okay, it's only two hundred and forty two dollars. If it's two hundred and forty two dollars and someone were to say to you, Are you gonna give up hundred and twenty dollars? You might say, All right, I'll give up hundred and twenty dollars. But when you're thinking that it's the equivalent of fifty five hundred dollars, that's something that's very different here. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But it helps it helps outline the panic that's happening. Yes. Sure. And it's all it's all it's all relative, right? You hear about these people making these twenty two million dollar deals and stuff. Like at some point the money becomes abstract. It's just that you start to talk in percentages. You you had a hundred percent and now you've got fifty. That's right. And uh and and uh, you know, the temperature's falling, the rates are diving, you know, like whatever's happening is going in a direction that you don't want it to go in. Correct. It's always it's always interesting to me this whole idea that like if one person panics that's okay but if everybody panics that's the downfall of society <laughs> you know like if everybody wants their money now then the buildings and loan is gone Correct. for good that's right so he mentions the term so if, he, if if he can keep everybody calm which he's doing a great job of doing that's right but, um, and I mean, they mentioned the fact of cash, you know, people want cash. So cash. Yeah. But what, what do you think? Cash is king. There you go. What do you think the, the word cash comes from? I'd be really interested to know. I don't know. Okay. So like to me, it, it's to me, it reminds me of like C-A-C-H-E, you know, cash, like something you'd, you'd, you'd something of value. You keep some buried under a log somewhere. <laughs> you okay. Know, you're you're right. It, it actually is connected to that because the original term for cash was a money box, C-A-S-H. But that's the same thing as a C-A-C-H-E. Uh -huh. You know, you have a cache of weapons, a cache of money or whatever it is. You know, it's a, it's a box that you're keeping stuff in or a stash or whatever it is. And then later on, it started becoming known as money. And then right. once once you reach the the 18th century, it was only known as, you know, as as money. So the the idea of a money box, you know, that that it changed the, you know, the the spelling is different, you know, from that whole thing. Yeah, because I mean, as, as yeah. we know, most of the time, you know, in olden days, people used to use uh, coins or, uh, you know, silver and stuff like that. in in order to. Yeah. But when we think of cash, so cash is is paper money, right? Mm -hmm. When when do you think they started using paper money and where? I think they always used paper money. It's just that the uh, the I would well my guess would be the first place that showed up would be uh, Great Britain. That would be my guess, or else somewhere in uh, in you know Egypt or the Middle East somewhere. They seem to be a pretty head of the curve with a lot of that stuff. No, because the paper money was but first. paper. Oh, but but you need a you need a forest. 
you need the resources to make paper money and i'm not sure how how much that was so i would i would say the uk that would be my guess okay so paper money was first used in china china of course oh uh, i should have guessed yes of course of course of course during, they were way ahead of the that's curve. Right. a lot of the stuff that's right. right during the tang dynasty and only when marco yeah. polo showed up in china in the 13th century um you know, did he did did they find out that people were were using paper money as opposed to coins, you know, silver, gold, whatever it is. And yeah. so, you know, he he brought that idea back to the the West. Yeah, well, it's that it's a step removed. It's an abstraction, right? It's of a, it, that's where money starts to become theoretical. Like a like a gold piece is a gold piece, but a piece of paper that's worth a gold piece. That's, that's right. a different thing. That's right. Well, it's the but same. But the possibilities are endless. Well, it's the same. Because if you if you have five if you you get five hundred gold pieces or a thousand gold pieces, it starts to become pretty dang unwieldy to carry around and pretty obvious to carry around. But if you have ten pieces of paper that are worth five hundred gold pieces each, and you've got that tucked in a pocket, and you're the richest man in town, and nobody knows. That's right. Especially since all the the pieces of paper look exactly this, you know, the same, just a different number on them. Yeah, well, that's that's the weird thing about American money to me. I like Canadian money because it's hard to look gangster when you're holding up a bunch of money that looks like a rainbow. I have the same thing like here in Israel. Different colors. Yeah, you know, it. it yeah. You know, we always joke that that the money here looks like Monopoly money, you know, because it's all different colors sure, and stuff right. like that. So I know in Canada, it's just but like, it's so much. Yeah, it's so much easier to tell you know what you've got when all the when all the bills are a different color. So it's uh it's very, you know, I yeah, I, because there's the scams based on that in the states where you hold up a ten dollar bill to pay for a drink, and then when the bartender pours you the drink in a busy bar, he takes the money that you give him, but you've shown him the ten, and you're only giving you him, him, him one. one. That's right. Yeah, but you know, he's not the wiser because he's not paying attention. But that's something that would never be possible in um, in Canada or like or in almost any other country <laughs> in the world. <laughs> right. right. So many places have much more colorful money than the States. Yes. But then the dollar bill is such a symbol, right? You, you, such a symbol in the States. So it's true also. It's a good point. But I mean basically the the the, the way that, that it all you know so so cash just became uh as you said an easier way to 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 pay for things without having to to, to drag around uh, all these uh, other coins and stuff like that, you know, and and nowadays we have it with electronic banking. It's the same type of thing. Now it's just you know it's it's zeros and ones, you know that which, yeah. which in some ways is even scarier, you know, because another level of abstraction. That's right. right? Another level of abstraction. That's right. Because I mean, it it makes it easier also when you're when you're paying with a credit card and all that stuff. You know, it's all. You know, it it things just get smaller and smaller. Now you just have this little plastic card that uh, that that is worth the same amount. You know, you instead of having to carry around this paper, these pieces of paper, you know, that type of thing. I think they even have like a game of Monopoly where they have credit cards, like versions of it, where you don't have cash anymore. Oh yeah, I think so. That would make sense. Yeah, and I love the the whole thing about the how Monopoly was created and what it was created for. It was, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Monopoly was created to show the dangers of capitalism <laughs> uh, or the dangers of having a monopoly. Like there was two, there was two games that the creator created and one was like more of a, uh, I 
I can't really remember now, but one was not monopoly and one was monopoly. And one was like, here's how an economic system could actually work to the benefit of all. And then here's monopoly, uh, a, a, you know, a dedicated example of how um, unbridled capitalism results in one person having everything and everybody else being ruined. So that's what we don't want. So, but this other game here, this is what we do want. Hmm, and, uh, and Mattel or whatever bought it and was like, well, forget that other game. Uh, let's just uh, put out Monopoly. And Monopoly's so it, it Parker, Parker, this, uh, Parker Brothers. Parker, yeah, yeah. Right. So, oh wow, that's that, that needs uh, a few more. That needs a few more details. I didn't have the full details on that one, but it's uh, that's that's how it was. It was created as a a cautionary tale uh, of the way not to be, and it became a best-selling game that lots of people like that. They missed the point of it. <laughs> it's like you're not, I think that's the way most things you're work. You're not getting rich, <laughs> ruining society. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Right. So. There's a lot of lot of thousands of examples of the same sort of thing. That's right. I mean we we talked about Monopoly during the Great Escape because the the Allies used Monop- Monop- Monopoly games uh to 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 transfer information to prisoners. And like they give them maps and stuff like that. Uh I remember we talked about that all those seasons ago. <laughs> and so then the, the, the conversation continues. And uh, and then a, a woman turns to, are you going to go to Potter's? And then he goes, better to get half than nothing. Remember we talked about that. And then everyone starts making noise. And he goes, Tom, Tom, Randall. Now, Randall, wait, wait. Now, listen, listen to me. I beg you not to do this. If Potter gets a hold of this building and loan, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the bank. He's got the bus line. He's got the department stores. And now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple. Because we're cutting in on his... And then he gets cut off. Which is mm-hmm. funny that he gets cut off with cutting in on his, but uh, yeah. So it... <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so, I mean, it basically goes to show that, that uh, this really is Pottersville. You know, he's he's now got the bank. Yeah. You know, they, they say he's got the bus line. So I guess he owns the bus line and all the department stores. So, you know, hey, if uh, Potter is in charge of everything. So, like, how it, – it's just funny that the fact that he doesn't have the building and loan, that's what's going to stop him? Uh, it's not – yeah, well – It's like, why is that – you know, if, if, if someone owns so many different things in a, in a town – so the the fact that they don't have one thing, big deal. You know, you still own everything else. Yeah, but it's pivotal. Obviously, it's people's homes, right? And it's also pivotal because you need this in for the movie. But <laughs> it's part of the plot. <laughs> yeah. But well, that's what I like about this movie is he doesn't he doesn't own um, a local hobby store. You know, he doesn't. Uh... He doesn't own a still, you know, it's a, it's a very integral part of the financial and social fabric of the town. Yes. Um, the, the economic prosperity, the economic certainty, the economic security of people's houses, which is very primal. And uh, it's very, it's, it's, it's a linchpin. It turns out to be, you know, for the purposes of this movie, it turns out to be a linchpin of what's holding the whole town together. That somehow is the last domino, but uh, but it does seem that if he does own you know ninety five percent of the town, then he's kind of already won. That's right. So and that, but that's also I mean that's if we 
talk a little bit about the the ending of the picture. I I I I, I often wonder. Two things I wonder about the ending of the picture is what if the town hadn't come together to give him some money at the end? You know, would he still have walked away like, well, I lost everything, but I do see the value in the life that I have. You know, would he still be okay with it? Like the happy ending of the movie is strange, but also the happy ending of the movie is like, he hasn't won. He's survived to be attacked two weeks later again by Potter. Like, you know, like... This isn't, uh, you know, the ending of the film isn't the ending of the film because Potter's not going to stop until he dies, which, you know, might not be too far in the future. You know, if it's, uh, it seems to be he's, he's quite elderly and he's in a wheelchair. And so, like, maybe, maybe, but maybe he'll be like one of those one of those people that hangs on for another 30 years. But he's the devil. Yeah, that's, that's the whole <laughs> He's the devil. It's not going to he's not going to go away anytime soon. So it's tough it's tough to be in the situation that they're in like this building alone is on the ropes and uh and if he can like what is it somebody says like if i could just make it through this month then i can go into another month of just making it through that month before i have to make it through another month you know like it's that kind of kind of existence that he's in right now it's just, this this building alone is right. getting by on fumes but he's managed to save it for one more day that's right and I think that's something that gets gets lost in the in the discussion about this movie is that he's fighting a losing battle, and this triumph is a small one, in an almost guaranteed eventual defeat, but it is worthy of celebration because of the spiritual and moral turnaround that he feels within himself. Sure. Right. Now, I mean, one of the things that that I find very interesting about this whole conversation in this minute is that you know George is clearly showing everybody that you know. Potter's the devil, and I'm the good person here. Yeah, you know, and then I'm here and to help he's you. All, but he's also putting, I'm here to help like, you. He's also putting yeah, and he's also putting all those, all the cards on the table. That's right. He's he's being very transparent. He's like you know we are in jeopardy, yeah. <laughs> you know, like but but we're all driving the car together, and if you stay, then there's a chance we'll survive. I'm not giving you any guarantees, and Potter is a steamroller. You know, he's like, the only thing that's important here is if you go with Potter, your reality will be worse. Right. You know, across the board. Like he's like, I I have to try to get this abstract concept across to people that are panicking about their very practical concerns of their money, their tangible, practical concerns of their money. I have to show them that, like, it's not just the principle Mm -hmm. of the thing. I'm not just saying I'm good and he's bad. I'm saying, like, you have to cast an eye towards the future. If he does win, your quality of life will lessen, you know, and you have to understand that. But it's really hard to make a crowd of panicking people understand that. And I think that's why, you know, another reason why I'm so happy I got (laughs) these minutes is just what a great speech this is and how relevant it still is uh, to everything that's happening yeah, to us today. It's true. All right, um, that's all I have for this minute. You have anything else for this minute? Uh, no. All right. So uh, our segment on Tuesday is off the beaten track, uplifting experience uh, story. It's a time when my guests will give an anecdote, adventure, misadventure, some sort of story of something that's happened to them over the course of their life that is uh, has left an impact on them as an uplifting experience. So uh, 
Well, you got a story for us, Duncan? I do, I do indeed. Uh, this was a long time ago. This was two. Mm, no, this was 1994 or something. I hope it's not about you wearing women's underwear again. No, that's not, not that one. Oh my gosh, I'd forgotten. I told you that story. Uh, this was, you didn't just uh, tell me. You told everybody. I told the world. This is uh, well. No, just do ever listen to my my show. But yeah, yeah. I had um, I hadn't done my taxes in about four or five years, and I was probably about twenty four at the time. And uh, you know, I've been working in restaurants, and you know, just. You know, I, I kept my T4s. I just never got around to it. And I, I, it was, it was you know, beneath my notice. And I figured nobody cared. But I was starting to become an adult. And I was like, ah, you know, I should I should get this together. But I was going through, like, a really bad breakup. And I didn't have a lot of money. And I think I was looking for work or something like that. And I was like, well, I think I should at least take care of these, uh, these, these taxes. And I didn't want to because I'm not really good with all these forms. And it seemed like a dizzying amount of unknowable information. And I felt like, you know, I was going to get audited or something like that on top of everything else. So I was like, I, I should I should take care of this. So I went down to this local, what they call here an H&R Block, is a, an organization that does taxes around tax time for people. They charge you a chunk of money and then they do all your taxes for you. So I walked in and there's like seasonal accountants that... Uh, it's like a spirit Halloween store, right? Except it's H and R Block for tax season, where they take up empty empty storefronts. They get a, accountants that want to make a bit of extra money, and then they give them a job for two months doing people's taxes. And so, uh, you know, I went in there and I was I got seated with this older guy. You know, I was 23, so older guy probably means he was about our age. You know, he was probably only like 48 <laughs> or 52. He's very thin and a little wizened, so I, you know, he'd seen some stress, I think, and seen some, seen some, uh, seen some rough road. In other words, he could have been he could have been an extra in a Frank Capra movie. He very much could have, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I said, well, I need to do my taxes for the last five years, and he was like, okay. And I was. You know, I, it was one of those things where sometimes where you don't realize how bad you're feeling, where you're you're going through a really rough patch, but you've still got your head above water and you've got your eye on the prize, but you don't realize that you're in a lot, you're in a darker place than you thought, and you're going through, you're experiencing a lot more turmoil turmoil than you than you than you realize because you're holding it all at bay, you're keeping things together, and uh, you have to stay on top of, you know whatever meager resources you have and whatever equilibrium you can keep. So I walk in there and obviously in a state, you know, I'm a, I'm a young man and, you know, I have, I have nothing and I've got to do five years of taxes. And, you know, so I was expecting a fairly impersonal robotic experience by an uncaring accountant because that's, what you think of to me, I think of, you know, when, at least at that point in my life, I thought of accountants as heartless robots who crunch numbers, you know. Okay, that's fair. And that's, that's uh, that also speaks that uh, that also speaks to this to this movie, right? You know, it's like George is ostensibly a banker, mm-hmm. right? So he's supposed to be the guy who's like, haha, give me all your money. I don't care. Foreclose. He's supposed to be Potter, but he's not. You know, and uh, and that it, this is a movie that shows that there are people in charge of financial institutions who aren't bloodthirsty criminals, right? There are also people that are trying to help and, and want to, you know, help the community. And so this person, 
I forget his name. He he did my taxes for me. It took about two hours to get through. Like my taxes were simple. It was just T4s and, you know, I didn't have a whole bunch of expenses or shell companies or anything like that. So it was a very simple process for him because I had my T4s. Uh, but it took a couple hours to go through each year and me trying in vain to remember specifics about things that happened four years ago, which, you know, when you're 24 and you're trying to remember what you did at 20, that's like remembering what happened 50 years ago. That's right. Uh, but we we got it all done, and uh, and he was just the nicest, kindest, you know, avuncular, fathery, you know, kind of guy uh, that I really needed in my life at that time. And he really just slowly, nicely took me through it. And then it was all done, and I think I ended up getting a check for like $4,000 at the end of it because it was – I don't make a lot of money, so I didn't at the time, and that was like – all the all the taxes that were owed to me for the course of five years. So, you know, I had I walked in there thinking I'm going to get dinged for another eight hundred bucks or something like that. But I ended up walking out with like three or four thousand dollars or something like that, which, you know, to a 24 year old who's going through a rough time is like winning the lottery. So I was very happy about that and relieved about that. And uh, and it was an ordeal to go through. And then just before I left, he said to me, hey, uh, before you leave, can you do me a favor? And I thought he was going to say, you know, make sure you fill out a Z trouble, you know, a ZWH alpha form or something like that, or you're going to be in trouble, you know? And he's like, before, before you leave, can you do me a favor? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And he was like, have a nice day. Oh, well. You know, and that's like a, tr- <laughs> that's like a trite, a trite thing, but he was this older guy. I don't know. It just got me like an arrow right in the heart. I was like, you got it, man. Well, Even talking about it now, I'm kind of tearing up a little bit. It was very nice of him to do. Oh, wow. Too, too bad you don't remember his name. <laughs> you can go look for him and yeah, see. Yeah, he was just. See what, see, see, you know, just send him, send him a little note saying, thank you very much for, for all those years ago being a bright point. And it's, it's a good. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, like, you can talk about something that you know, your wife did for you or your, or your child did for you or your sibling did for you or something like that. But when a, when a, just a, a random stranger that you never met before and you will never meet again uh, creates that kind of goodness in your life, that's really special. Yeah. And it's a very integral part of, of, of being the human experience. So you try to be that for other people and once in a while uh, you can be, right? Right. It's true. All right, great. Thank you very much for that story. I appreciate that. Um, all right, so Duncan, you want to tell people where they can find uh, Duncan Shields? Yeah, they can go to buy Duncan Shields. I had all the social medias and go to Tronologically Speaking or look for Duncan Shields Poetry on YouTube and you'll find some shenanigans of me doing spoken word. <laughs> all right, and while you're doing that, you can go rate and subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe many podcasts you might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on my website, movearoundminutes.com. So, until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly did. Life with its sorrow. Life with its tears